and welcome to Lakeshore Update. I'm Dee Dodson. On this edition of the podcast, you'll hear the latest on a more than $3 million settlement as well as an agreement to improve the wastewater system at a Cleveland Cliffs steel mill. Darian Benson reports on a bill supporters say would make it easier for Hoosiers to age at home. And Chris Nolte has a conversation with Philip Cutler, the CEO and co-founder of Paper, a digital tutoring platform. All of that and more on this edition of Lakeshore Update. Northwest Indiana steelmaker Cleveland Cliffs has agreed to make upgrades to prevent spills in Lake Michigan's waterways and pay more than $3 million in penalties. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Rebecca Thiel reports the steelmaker reached a legal settlement with environmental groups, the state, and the federal government Monday over past violations. In 2019, Arcelor Middle spilled excess cyanide and ammonia into the east branch of the Little Calumet River, killing thousands of fish and causing nearby beaches to close. Among other things, the steel mill now owned by Cleveland Cliffs will upgrade its water treatment system and improve how it lets residents know about spills. Kiana Courtney is a staff attorney with the Environmental Law and Policy Center. It is important that both the towns and and its residents in addition to IDEM and concerned organizations, be aware of what's going into into the water that they fish in and swim in and use. In an email statement, Cleveland Cliffs said environmental stewardship is one of the company's core values and that it looks forward to implementing the requirements in the consent decree. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Rebecca Thiel. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Police say a 15-year-old boy hit his mother with a brick and stole her SUV just minutes before he crashed into another vehicle, killing a 40-year-old Gary man. Derek Jones died at Tuesday morning's crash scene from blunt force trauma. The Times reports Lake County's coroner ruled the crash an accident. Sheriff Oscar Martinez Jr. says it appears that the boy was traveling at a high rate of speed when the crash occurred. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Valparaiso Community Schools property tax referendum has gotten the city council's support. On May 3rd, voters will be asked to renew the school district's 2015 referendum for another eight years, but at a lower maximum rate, going from more than 20 cents per $100 of assessed valuation to less than 15 cents. A resolution supporting that effort was unanimously approved during Monday's council meeting. Council member Robert Cotton says the school system is one of the city's most prized features and he's fully behind the referendum. But he also questions whether a recurring referendum is a sustainable funding mechanism. As a every seven year, every year, eight year phenomenon, there might be uh, an appropriate time for there to be a greater level of uh, understanding on the part of the, the state legislature that uh, this is not necessarily, um, I think, a permanent solution. Meanwhile, 
the Valparaiso City Council plans to take applications for prospective school board members from February 28th through April 22nd. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The City of Crown Point is asking Lake County to chip in some of its COVID relief money for a generational sewer project. The Post Tribune reports the $99 million project would add a sewer treatment facility for the area southeast of the city that currently uses septic tanks and well water. Mayor David Uran told the County Council Tuesday that would reduce water backups for Crown Point's existing customers and pave the way for residential and commercial development. The city wants the county to commit $5 million of its American Rescue Plan Act funding. Crown Point would chip in $5 million of its own APRA funds, opening the door to a total of $10 million in state ARPA money through a state water infrastructure fund grant from the Indiana Finance Authority. The rest of the funding could come from loans, tap fees, and rate increases. The Lake County Council plans to consider a resolution to support the request next month. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Attorneys for a Purdue student who was pinned to the ground by a West Lafayette campus police officer want the officer fired. Network Indiana's Kurt Darling reports. Andrew Stroth is the lawyer for Adonis Tuggle. He's the student seen in this viral video. Being held to the ground in the snow by Purdue officer John Selkie. Straw tells Wish TV that it's still too early to demand criminal charges against Selkie. You know, at this stage, let's gather all the evidence and let's find out the truth. But he does say that the video is clear. He says Selkie used unreasonable force and that it was Selkie who escalated the situation. Straw says he doesn't know why someone else called police as Tuggle and his girlfriend were having an argument. Kurt Darling, Network Indiana. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The Valparaiso and Doolin School Corporations are making masks optional amid a decline in COVID-19 cases. Both districts note that close contacts may still have to quarantine, especially if they are not vaccinated and students who are sick or test positive should stay home. Schools will continue with social distancing, increased cleaning, and other precautions. Both school corporations say they'll support anyone who wants to continue wearing a mask. Masks are still required on school buses due to a federal mandate. The change was made after consultation with the Porter County Health Department. The county has seen its moving average of daily COVID cases drop from more than 300 in early January to fewer than 50, while the positivity rate went from over 30 
to under 14%. In addition to the lower case numbers, school officials also cite the opportunity for students and staff to get vaccinated and lower transmission in school buildings. The Lake Central School Corporation also made masks optional Monday. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The Family and Social Services Administration has a plan it says would make it easier for Hoosiers to age at home. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Darian Benson reports the agency worries a proposed bill would put an end to the reforms. FSSA says the state's current Medicaid system is hard to navigate. It wants to move the state from a fee-for-service system to managed care and contract with private insurers to help patients navigate health services. Senate Bill 407 would limit those reforms to just 10 counties in northwest Indiana on a pilot basis. Dr. Dan Rusiniak is the FSSA secretary. By limiting any reform to a narrow part of the northwest corner of the state, by limiting it to only specific types of organizations, and by adding new and not previously discussed safeguards, this bill makes meaningful reform impossible. Proponents say a pilot program is a good first step in helping more elderly Hoosiers age at home and still allow them a choice in their health care decisions. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Darian Benson. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Trust us. That was the message some teachers wanted to send to lawmakers as they gathered at the State House Monday. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Jenny Lindsay reports it's part of an ongoing effort from several groups to push back against a controversial school curriculum and parent oversight bill. It's the second week of organized teacher advocacy at the State House with educators coming from across Indiana. For many, House Bill 1134 is top of mind. The bill would limit how schools talk about things like race and politics and require teachers to post more of their classroom materials online. Kayla Wilhelm, a third grade teacher from Fort Wayne, says the bill makes her feel like lawmakers don't trust her to do what she was trained for. We trust you to do what is best for our state. They're elected officials. We trust them and I need them to trust us. Other teachers agree and say the legislation is already leading some to consider quitting their jobs or leaving the state. House Bill 1134 is scheduled for a committee hearing Wednesday. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Jeannie Lindsay. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. A Senate committee made major changes to a controversial elections bill Monday. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Brenda Smith reports the panel eliminated language that would have added a new restriction to absentee mail-in voting. Right now, you can get a mail-in ballot if you attest you won't be available on Election Day. A House-approved bill would have expanded that to require a voter be unavailable in the 28 days before the election, too. Republican Senator Greg Walker says that added restriction would create doubt and confusion among voters. I don't see any evidence that it uh, provides us any more security or uh, accountability in the election process. Walker's amendment to the bill eliminated the new restriction. 
The measure also moves up the deadline to 2024 by which counties must add paper backup systems to their electronic voting machines. The Senate panel added a caveat. Counties only have to meet that deadline if the state or federal government gives them money to do it. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Brandon Smith at the State House. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. A House committee on Wednesday passed a bill that would create a removal process for township trustees. The bill was heard by Democratic Representative Chris Campbell, who has herself introduced legislation creating oversight for township budgets. She voted against the bill, noting that the removal process it creates uses the courts and the courts are already used for removing public officials who have violated the law. I mean, are we fixing a problem? Um, no. Um, and this is this is adding language that's not necessary. It, it's basically redundant language. Supporters of the legislation have argued that a removal process is needed for trustees who aren't performing their jobs well but have not necessarily committed a crime. The bill now heads to the full house. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Over the past two years, children have gone through mask mandates, online and hybrid schooling, and a loss of security in their day-to-day lives. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Ella Abbott takes a look at how kids are faring after two years in a pandemic. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Cassandra Smith is a junior at Bishop Dwanger High School in Fort Wayne. She's on student council, in spirit club, involved in speech, and the co-president of the Saints for All Diversity Club. But Smith says her main interest is theater. I've been in over 30 local shows and productions, musicals, plays. Smith says she's been involved in community theater her whole life and is currently an intern at Fort Wayne Youth Theater. But two years ago, that all went away. In the spring of 2020, COVID-19 reached Allen County, and schools began to make decisions about going remote and cutting students off from their main source of socialization. Smith says it was a hard adjustment. Going from doing so much after school, having a constantly packed schedule on weekends and school days, to just having nothing. Over the past two years, schools have been remote, tried hybrid systems, required masks and social distancing. Now, most schools are back to being entirely in person. But how have two years of isolation started to affect students? Liz Bryan is the Director of Wellbeing and Alternative Placement at Fort Wayne Community Schools. She says they're seeing students' mental health issues amplify. The anxiety is up. Our referrals to our mental health partner, Bowen, our student assistance program, those referrals are up. And Smith isn't immune to that fear. She says she's having a hard time looking forward to plays and concerts she has planned for the spring, knowing that COVID surges could make it all go away again. It's definitely been hard to find motivation to feel excited and happy about things anymore. Brian says these mental health issues have been something they look for in students for a while. So I wouldn't say they're newer. I think they've been amplified. Brian says suicide ideation is up, and according to the Centers for Disease Control, suicide is the second leading cause of death for Indiana youth. 
Fort Wayne Community Schools partners with Bowen Center to refer students who might need more support or help than the school guidance counselors can offer. Bowen gives the students three free sessions. Rebecca Riley is the director of outpatient services at Bowen Center in Allen County. She says she's also seeing a rise in anxiety and fear with kids. A lot of kids are feeling just fearful about everything that's going on. A survey conducted by America's Promise Alliance in spring of 2020 polled more than 3,000 high school students. It found that 30% of young people, quote, say they have more often been feeling unhappy or depressed, and nearly as many say they are much more concerned than usual about having their basic needs met. When it comes to younger kids, Riley says those fears can be harder to explain, let alone help. Their brain hasn't developed in a way where they can really understand themselves, like why they feel the way they feel, so they start acting out. She says it's important to remember that when kids are acting out or exhibiting poor behavior, there's usually a reason for it. Kids aren't bad. They are acting out and misbehaving because there's something wrong or they're struggling to express themselves. At Fort Wayne Community Schools, Brian says they went into the school year knowing that students were going to need extra help. The school system did what Brian calls a wellness boot camp before the beginning of the semester in August. The boot camp was to help each school learn some regulation techniques and help students transition back into being in the classroom full time. And that has been a huge help for those schools that are truly embracing that and bringing it into their curriculum. It wasn't just about mental well-being, though. Brian says the boot camp also worked on helping students learn to be students again by working on collaboration, critical thinking, and setting expectations for the school year. Because a lot of kids forgot how to do school. Brian encourages parents to have a set schedule at home because kids need consistency. She says it's also important to regulate technology and be aware of what their students are doing on social media. She says even before COVID, students were isolating. And all due to social media. That reliance on social media as a means of connection only got stronger during the pandemic as kids and teens began to rely on it as their only way of connecting with friends and family. Smith says before the pandemic, she hated getting a FaceTime call, but now she uses FaceTime to catch up with friends, play games, and stay connected. Brian encourages parents to find safe ways to get their kids involved in socializing with other children outside of social media. Smith says she's noticed people becoming less comfortable in social situations, leaving sooner than they would have before two years in isolation. But for her, the discomfort comes at the thought that the rug could be pulled out from her at any moment. Before COVID, Smith says she had a plan for what she wanted her future to look like. Now, it's hard to make plans without feeling like it could all fall apart. She says she continues to wear a mask out in public and will stay home if she feels sick, but it feels like sacrificing her mental health for her physical well-being. It's tough sometimes because it's like, I want to go to this party, but I know I shouldn't because COVID cases are high right now. So, Smith says, sometimes when the fear begins to return, she simply has to look around and accept the moment for what it is. Okay, I need to appreciate the things I have right now. So, later in life when I don't have them, maybe, I'll know that I appreciated them to the fullest. Riley says mental health is an important aspect of well-being, but that it can often be the last thing that people treat for. And it can be very detrimental to somebody's well-being if left unchecked. She says for parents, it's just important to watch for those red flags and how their students are engaging with the world and make sure they feel supported and get any help they might need. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Ella Abbott. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Here's Regionally Speaking host Chris Nolte with a conversation with Philip Cutler, the CEO and co-founder of Paper, a digital tutoring platform. 
Teachers and school districts are looking for help in being able to help their students that they've had still deal with the pandemic. There's a learning loss we know that is there because of so many years, unfortunately, of the pandemic uh, causing problems for teachers as well as students uh, being stuck either at home uh, by being quarantined or having to do distance learning. But school districts are finding ways to be able to get around the problems that they're running into with these learning disruptions by counting on companies uh, that are run by our next guest. Philip Cutler is the CEO, and he's the co-founder of an organization called Paper, which is one of the nation's leading digital tutoring platforms, and they are working very closely with the Merrillville Community Schools here in Northwest Indiana to help their students combat this learning loss. And uh, Mr. Cutler, thank you for joining us on Lakeshore Public Radio. Chris, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Will you spend some time explain? Uh, we know some of these facts, of course, before, but they're bare. They they definitely need to be re-explained about the problems that the pandemic has caused for not only t- students, for young people, but for the teachers and the administrators at the school districts that they are in to be able to 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 combat this learning loss that they faced. And I think a lot of the issues that have really been highlighted over the last couple of years in our schools were present before the pandemic hit as well. They simply brought, the pandemic simply brought a lot of these things to light in ways that we couldn't ignore them anymore. And um, the idea of academic support and the ability for students to get the, the help that they need when they need it in order to address the learning loss, I don't think that that's necessarily an entirely new thing. I just think it's been really brought front and center over the last couple of years. When I was a teacher before starting paper, I saw it in my class where students were going out, they were hiring private tutors. There was always the wealthiest 10 to 20% of students, when in reality, it was often the other 80 to 90% who needed the help the most. And the last couple of years have really proven that that's the case. Mm-hmm. When you've talked with uh, people who have become uh, become clients with paper and, and getting them interested, have they said anything in particular? And we're talking here about school administrators, school superintendents, or other executives with the school district. Have they mentioned anything in particular that they have uh, turned to you folks at paper to be able to help f- them deal with uh, in particular, since it's a tutoring uh, platform that you have created? One of the biggest things that school districts are looking for us to support them with is being able to level the playing field for all students. As a teacher, you're expected to evaluate every student the same, but you know they don't have the same resources available to them. When a school district implements a solution like paper, they know that every student will have unlimited 24-7 access to a tutor. And that really does mean that your students have an equal opportunity to reach their potential, at least from an academic perspective. It's key to closing that gap. The other piece of the puzzle that's really important here, too, is that our teachers over the last couple of years have been spread so thin, so much have been asked of them. It's been so challenging. And with our students needing that extra support, being able to ask your teachers to go even a step further above and beyond after everything that's been asked of them is, is, is so difficult. When I was teaching, I was already spread really thin, and that was well before the pandemic hit. I can only imagine how challenging it's Mm -hmm. been to have been in a classroom the last two years. What do your staff members with paper do when you're working in this particular case with the Maryville Community Schools, as you do with all the others that have become uh, partners uh, with paper? What do you specifically do to to help them be able to deal with this? When you you talk about digital tutoring, uh, what does that really involve? 
we'll work with the district and we'll integrate into their technology stack. So we'll make it really easy for students to be able to jump onto paper and get connected with the tutor anytime that they want to. So when a school district like Merrillville would contract with us, that means that the students will be able to in one click effectively connect with a tutor anytime they need for as long as they need to. And everything that happens on the platform as they get help from these tutors is completely transparent to the classroom teacher. So the classroom teacher will actually see which students are getting help, what questions are being asked. If there are, are similarities across the class, maybe they need to revisit a topic that you know, maybe wasn't delivered, that, you know, the, the teaching wasn't delivered super clear and they need to revisit that. Um, so we'll work with the district very closely to make sure that it's rolled out successfully, that teachers are trained. All of that is, is important because without it, we're not gonna be a successful partnership. Now, since you've been working uh, with uh, Maryville and, and the other school districts uh, with uh, with your organization, have you gotten any feedback? Uh, or is it early, too early to get feedback, or are you getting some <laughs> constant, or are you getting constant feedback uh, as to how things are working out? So, there's definitely no shortage of feedback when you've got teachers and students involved. We hear it all the time. Um, you know, it, we we will often hear quite early on in the partnership anecdotal feedback about how thrilled the district is to be working with us. You know, teachers will roll this out with their students and, um, you know, the, the students and the parents will really feel a sense of relief that they know that the school district has supported them and is now providing a solution that, you know, that really does help the students. Um, so that will happen quickly. I mean, we'll, there's all sorts of great stories that, that pop up. The other day, we had uh, we found out that a student was admitted to Stanford um, and it was one of the heaviest users in another district um, outside your area. Mm-hmm. And when we when we sort of spoke with the district even more, um, we found out that they had actually put their their application essay uh, through papers essay review. And so our tutors won't write anything for the student, but they'll annotate or provide feedback. We right. thought that was really interesting, and the school was so proud of the student getting into Stanford. And it was this sort of really warm, fuzzy experience for everybody. To be like, you know, we are making a difference. We're supporting the students. And we're helping them reach their, their true potential. Well, there's always a, an opportunity for somebody to be an editor. When you get to something like that, I'm sure, you know, and it always helps out, I would imagine. So, well, since you're, ad- since you're adding on uh, school districts uh, seemingly every day, are you, are you finding uh, that the, this uh, Northwest Indiana area in particular, and the whole Chicagoland area, for that matter, is, is a good place to, to be able to establish uh, more school districts uh, working with paper? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a year ago we had um, we had no districts in the area. Today we've got you know over twenty five um, you know in, in Illinois, you know a couple in Indiana. Like it's consistently growing. Wow. And what we've recognized is that the problems that the school districts are facing are very similar district to district. And so in Northeast Indiana, you know, especially um, you know the last couple of years. The problems that all the school districts are trying to address are quite uniform, are quite similar. And paper is a solution. It's not a silver bullet for all those problems. There's a lot of issues, obviously. Um, but when it comes to academic support, you know, we're really the solution that districts are turning to. Philip Cutler is the uh, 
co-founder, and he's the CEO of an organization called Paper. He's a former teacher, so he knows of which he speaks about the problems of helping uh, students combat learning loss. And in particular, uh, the digital tutoring platform has been working with school districts all across uh, not only uh, the Chicagoland area, but in Merrillville, in the Merrillville Community Schools, to help their students uh, deal with the learning loss that has been caused by the pandemic. Uh, Mr. Cutler, thank you for being with us, and uh, we hope to, to hear back from you again. And we have more school districts here in northwest Indiana that will be part of the, the, the family that's uh, created by paper. Thank you very much. Regionally Speaking with host Chris Nolte can be heard each Monday through Thursday at 11 a.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and streaming online at lakeshorepublicradio.org where you can also find podcasts of the show when you click on the program link. For the latest in local news and information, tune in Monday at 6 a.m. for Morning Edition with local host Chris Nolte. Lakeshore Update is supported by the listeners and members of Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Podcasts for Lakeshore Update are posted each Friday on our website, lakeshorepublicradio.org, as well as on NPR One. Make sure you search for WLPR and select us as your home station. Music for Lakeshore Update was written and produced by bensound.com. For Lakeshore Update, I'm D. Dotson.